Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Uh, I'm Mary Ashley Burton, and today on the line, we've got Laura and her mother-in-law, Dina Sams. Hey! Hi! And I am so excited because I really love this topic because I feel like uh, it can tell us so much about our patterns in relationships and maybe what's going wrong, even though, you know, it seems to us like things are kind of random. (laughs) Um, So we're going to be talking about attachment styles. Yay. Yay. Yeah. So for the purposes of our audience who may not be familiar with that, Dina, would you like to just give us a quick intro as to what all that means? Sure. Um, Well, our attachment that we form in very early parts of our life, even before six months old, um, affects us in our development, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, all of those pieces. Uh, but it it doesn't just affect that. It also affects how our relationships are formed, even as adults, um, how we learn to attach to the primary caregiver, usually the mom, um, affects how we attach to our partners, our friends, our even sometimes even coworkers, the the whole idea of attaching and having relationship goes back to how we how we were responded to, not so much what we did, but how the what the caregiver did, mostly our mothers, how that worked when we were very young, probably before we even remember. That's amazing. It, it it explains if we know what attachment theory is in different styles. It it sounds like we would yes uh, be able to better empathize with people. Um, I I know that I've mentioned I may have mentioned before. Derek and I are going through a foster process right now, and we're just learning so much about the effects that this sort of thing has on children as young as newborns. You know, so even even just right out sure. of the womb, we are absorbing different things in our environment and things that we not, may not even remember as adults. And so this carries into, from what I understand, into our adulthood and just as you said, affects all of our relationships. So that being said, can you right. let us know what the different styles are? We're talking about attachment styles. What what are those? <laughs> Yeah, there are basically um, four different attachment styles, Um, but those are formed by different responses and different things. Uh, The first one is what we all kind of hope for and and would like to achieve with our children, which is a secure attachment. Um, The second one is ambivalent or um, some people call it a couple of different things, but we'll call it an ambivalent attachment. And the third one's avoidant. And the fourth one is a disorganized or insecure attachment. So um, can we just go like kind of one by one and talk about, you know, what this looks like in childhood and then what it looks like in adulthood? Sure. Let me go back real quick before we do that and give you a little history. Um, Attachment theory was the first talked about, probably, first one we know is John Bowlby, who was um, a psychologist who did a whole lot of work. He's considered kind of the grandfather of attachment theory. Um, and he he's the person who first kind of put it out there that attachment begins at birth and the parent-child relationship influences child the child's development, not just not just the physical things, um, not just like feeding and caring and keeping warm, but just the actual attachment part influences development. So um, he's the guy that kind of started this and did a lot of work in it. Um, he's been, you know, he was around, most of, a lot of his work was done in the mid-50s and 60s. Um, so he's, you know, it's not 
that long ago that we started talking about this sort of thing. So, and do you know how so, he was inspired to start thinking about this? Well, I should know, um, but he, um, I don't have all that in front of me. I, I'm trying to remember because I know I studied all of his work in school when I was doing my, my program, but I, I'm sorry, it's not coming to my head That's right okay. now. Um, <laughs> that, would, think, we're, that would have been interesting, but we, we are interested yeah. in his theories. theories yeah. That yeah. Up with. yeah. Well, and these are the, these are the, um, and I'm trying to remember, I, he had some part in this where the, you, uh, most of us have heard about these studies where they um, would have that mechanical, they, they did it with monkeys where they had the mechanical oh, mother. Yeah. Where they like, they had to like press a lever to get food or something. And one was spiky or yeah. something. And one was soft. Yeah. Um, and yes, where they could attach because it was soft and it gave them a, a sense of comfort yeah. and the comfort. And, and those, those babies developed at a better rate, that sort of thing. So that's where some of this, he was involved in some of that. I think there's another person that uh, was included in that, in those studies, but some very interesting um, pioneer work done in that, in that field. Yeah. And I think, didn't they find that like they preferred the skeleton mother who wasn't soft, but who gave them food versus that there was something re really interesting that they ended up finding that, that, that they would end up. Yeah. That, well, that the little baby monkeys would end up going back to the mother, even though she wasn't soft, but be, because she was nurturing mm -hmm. them in some way. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I should have done a little more homework on that before we started talking. About <laughs> oh, that's okay. It. But, um, but um, just, just to give you an idea, most people have heard of that study is why I'm saying that, this is the guy that kind of put that out there rather than just believing it was all biological and behavioral, um, that it really did affect how we think and develop and how we get, what, attach and feel secure in that attachment. Mm. All right. So it, I guess we can so, kick off with secure attachment. Yeah. And this is what everybody... Right. This is what everybody wants to have. You know, we want to be secure. That's kind of what drives us in a lot of places. When I deal a lot, um, I do a lot of therapy with couples and some of those are a problem. They have, I mean, I don't see people if they don't have problems, <laughs> but um, when they, when they come in, the attachment is such a, a huge issue and we find that there is all this fear Sometimes people will have deep fears from that go way back to childhood where they didn't have a secure home life and didn't have a secure attachment with their caregivers. And that makes them feel very insecure. And it doesn't take very much from the partner to really shake that that foundation up because it's so it's so flimsy to start with. So anyway, the secure attachment um, is kind of neat because what that says is that when um, when the child needs something, they um, they reach out for it. They make that need known. Like we all know babies do. If they're uncomfortable, they let us know. If they need to be fed, they let us know. If they need their diaper changed, if they're tired, if they need comfort, you they don't stay quiet. So they're always uh, quick to reach out. The, and we call that, you know, they're they're reaching out for that need to be met. And when the primary caregiver is there to meet that need, maybe it's food, maybe it's comfort, um, maybe it's warmth. Um, it can be all kinds of things. Sometimes, you know, babies just like to be held. And we say, oh, you're just spoiling that baby. Oh, no, you're meeting a need. So um, when those babies or that child has the needs met quickly, then it says, then in that, that says to the brain, I have someone that could take care of me. I will be secure. Um, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear, be fearful because when I need something, it will be met. It gives us security. So that's the basis for secure attachment. 
Now, that doesn't mean that when you're a 12 year old, you get you cry and you get everything given to you. But as a, as a baby, that's what we have to have. We have to have our needs. So the parent of a securely attached child will react quickly to that child's need and is very responsive, generally is more responsive to their child than the parent of an, of an insecure attachment. So these, these parents are often, or these children are often then, because of that, they can feel comfort, comfortable. So they're less disruptive. They're less aggressive. They, um, they don't have these, they're not having to look harder or cry harder or yell louder for what they need. It's being met. And they have an expectation that they're going to be safe. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. And uh, and so I imagine in relationships they probably are less prone to jealousy, like like an unhealthy level of jealousy, or yes, yes, uh, um, suspicion probably, or you know, um, uh, or. Yeah, it makes me think of just children of divorced parents, you know, and and how mm-hmm. that is such a big factor in again carrying into their adult lives. When well, hold on, Laura, we're like, gonna get, talk about all the other attachments. No, like, just, just made me think, like not knowing a lot about the other things yet. Like obviously, like we're mm-hmm. talking about secure attachments and how you have a safe environment where those things are being met. And then on an emotional level, when, you know, such as uh, children of divorced parents, you know, like they don't necessarily have that. So just in contrast to secure parents, I just can see that already. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, um, and also I have heard that, um, like from like theories that, that also, like if you have a secure attachment to your caregivers, you are able to build a healthier relationship with God, uh, throughout yeah. your childhood. Absolutely. Because, you know, we form our God concept from, from our caregivers. Yeah. I've heard so many friends talk about just their distrust of God as father just because of so many father mm-hmm. issues, um, which totally makes sense. Right. Well, I have clients that come to me sometimes, and they these are people who are who are Christians. They have a relationship with God, but they have a distorted view of what that is supposed to be because they had such critical parents and disapproving parents that they see God that way. They don't think they could ever measure up, um, and they have very they they do not understand the concept of grace. Yeah, and that's at huge. least at a heart level. Yeah. Oh, it is huge. Yeah, it's yeah, and yeah, exactly what you said. The heart level that it's easy to know something intellectually, but then actually believing it in your heart mm-hmm. is is a whole other thing. And that's why I'm so excited to talk about this because I hope it can help people uh, discover some patterns. <clears throat> I'm sorry, discover some patterns in their lives. You know. So in the, so look, so just to review, in the secure attachment for a child, the mother is going to be quick and sensitive and consistent, and in that to the to the baby's needs or to the child's needs, and this to the child's going to going to then be com- comfortable to be secure and able to explore um, the world, able to be happy in that, and he he or she will then believe and trust that that his needs are going to be met. So because of that, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He can move on and do other things because he's secure in being safe. Mm. Uh, When you don't have that security and safety, then you're always preoccupied with feeling, I have to keep myself safe. I have to survive. So then we're not free to move on to other things. Oh, that's so interesting. And and also, I guess, when you say free to move on to other things, that implicates uh, our psychological development as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because, and you see this a lot of times in children that are living a lot of, within a lot of trauma, um, because if they don't feel like they have safety, physical and emotional safety, then they can't go anywhere else. That has to, that preoccupies everything. So it's very difficult yeah. to move one towards something else and take care of those little bit higher needs because, you know, um, Abraham Maslow was a, 
a psychologist who talked about he, he developed this hierarchy of need he calls mm-hmm. it and if you see it most of us learned this in psychology in school but when you see that in a in a diagram there's a pyramid and the base of it is is physiologically you know having our needs met and then the next layer is safety so if you don't get those done, then you can't even consider whether you love and belong to somebody or that your self-esteem is good or bad or that you get to actually develop your gifts and, and be who you're supposed to be. That doesn't even get to you don't even get to consider that because you're preoccupied with getting your needs met underneath. Mm. So, so it all fits together. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So then the second style that we look at is uh, it's sometimes called um, ambivalent attachment. Now, it's pretty much how it sounds. <laughs> this child, um, what happens is this child reaches out um, for his needs to be met. Sometimes mom does it. Sometimes she meets the needs. They may not go hungry, but she may not always be available when he needs comfort. Um, she may be a little disengaged. To put that in a modern modern terms, you know, she might be on her phone. She might be talking. Mm. To um, she might be occup- preoccupied with what's on television. And she meets the need, but it's not really engaged. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so subconsciously, this child is a little bit like, mm, I don't know if she's going to do this or not. I don't know if I'm going to get what I need or not. I might, but I might not. Mm. So I can't count on it. Yeah. I can count on, I can reach out, but I'm going to probably expect that I will be let down. Yeah. Because mom, because mom's not available. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how does that play out throughout life? Well, that child is going to be the one who gets upset pretty easily. And he's pretty sorrowful when he's when he's separated from his caregiver. I'm, I'm talking at childhood now. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> doesn't feel like he could rely on anybody. So if you play that out into a relationship as an adult, you're not going to count on anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense. It would make sense that my husband went looking somewhere else because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever mm-hmm. takes care of me. Either there's something wrong with me. Or it's just how everybody is. I can't expect to have my needs met. And do they carry both of those thoughts that there's something wrong with me and other people, there's things wrong with me? And this is just how it is? Or do they they always cast blame the other direction? It can be either one. It can be either one. Um, an ambivalent attachment, they're, they're just going to, the mother's going to be inconsistent. You know, there's like, and so they will expect that from other people. If the mother's inconsistent, sometimes she's very comforting, but sometimes she's not. Okay. Mm. Um, and do all of these have to do primarily with the relationship uh, with the mother? Or can you also develop these attachment styles through your father relationship? Well, it's it's it kind of depends on we, we use mom because that's always traditionally been the primary caregiver, mm-hmm. but it can be both. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and for a child, it's more of, do my needs get met? Yeah. Sometimes that's shared by parents. Cause I'm wondering if ambivalent attachment can come from, maybe you have a great relationship with your mom, but your dad is disengaged or you have a good relationship with your dad oh, yeah. and mom is checked out. Yeah. Right. It, the, it, it's more about, that child having their needs met, whether that's whoever is doing it mm-hmm. or maybe but um, <clears throat> there was a, I was in a class a while back and they were talking about recent studies. And I'm sorry, I don't have the reference to give you. But the question was. How. How much of the time, what percentage of the time does the need have to be met appropriately for the child to feel secure? Mm. So you want to guess? You got you, either <laughs> either of you ninety percent, ninety percent, because that's kind of what I thought. You know, you could really mess this up. When I'm talking about it, it sounds awful, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Like yeah. home, 
this. We're going to mess up every kid we, that comes along. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Mary Ashley? Do you- <laughs> um, maybe like 75%. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good number for me too. They told us only 30%. Oh. If they're, if this school gets their needs met consistently 30% of the time, they're still going to develop pretty well. Oh, wow. Wow. So oh, that's wow. a lot of hopefully, a lot of hope for. It, yeah, right? hopefully that'll take some pressure off of the parents listening and Absolutely, absolutely. So I, you know, that was encouraging to me because I mean, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect, but you know, there's going to still be a pretty well-developed kid if you can meet their needs most of, even even a good section of the time doesn't even have to be most of the time. Sorry, to back so, up, when you talk about a child's needs, maybe we said it earlier, but can you reiterate again what that means? Like me- meeting a child's needs means feeding, mm-hmm. sheltering, clothing. Uh, what does it and emotional, yeah. emotional? It, it involves all of that. Okay. Yes, like like comfort. You know, okay. um, the child falls down. Who does he want, mom or dad? Okay. You know, he needs to be comforted. You really can't take pain away, but it feels like it to the child when you give them comfort. Mm. Mm -hmm. So not not giving that implies I'm going to be hurt and nobody cares. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So all of that, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all of that, all of those needs have to are, are expected to be met by the primary caregiver or caregivers of the child. Got it. Now, that's not forever. That's in the first years of life because that's pretty much how it is. That's what we take on when we when we have children. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten into how if you have a certain attachment style, how that can play out when you're parenting. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Um, I want to. Re- I want to remind you that when you're talking about parent-child attachment, we are looking at a vertical relationship. It goes one way. Sometimes parents who didn't have good attachment with their own parents try to get some of their attachment needs fulfilled in this child, and it should not be expected. Children, children are wonderful, and they. They certainly give us love, but that's not what we should be expecting from them. Right. They should be expecting it from us. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and sometimes parents who are not very adjusted themselves or have insecure or avoidant attachment with their their own parents, then will try to get that fulfilled in in an uncomfortable way. That's why then these children feel they have a great need to fulfill something. Right. And, be, and it's something that they really can't ever, they feel yeah. so much pressure uh, mm-hmm. in this role placed on them, but like they really can never give the love that their parents' parents should have given them. That's, that's correct. And it, it causes a lot of insecurity for that child because of it. Yeah. I see some of those people as a, so mm-hmm. what we're really supposed to do is pass that on to our children. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It goes, it's a one way kind of thing. Yeah. Now in, in romantic relationships and friendships, those are, those are horizontal relationships that right. go back and forth. Right. We expect to get and receive some of these things from each other. Yeah, in Christianity, so, that would be phileo versus storge, right? With the parental parental love. Yes. Sorry, Mashley, go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, but so it, for the child who feels, who like grew up feeling put upon to really give love and everything in romantic relationships, would that lead to them being like, sort of overgiving in a sort of like possessive kind of sense or sometimes it or does. expecting a give and yeah. take relationship. Like I did you this favor. Love me. Right. Right. They're always trying to get that mm-hmm. love. Oh, that sounds like an unhealthy yeah, to Enneagram too. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. yeah. Totally. Very. Yeah. So, so that was, that's now we've, we talked about that ambivalence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And if it makes, I mean, it just, it's kind of like it sounds. It's just going to be that, that mom's or that caregiver is going to be, eh, maybe I'll meet your needs. Maybe I won't. Mm. That's really convicting even before I have children, but just in my horizontal relationships of friendships and my mm-hmm. husband, you know, like our phones, you you could totally dis- distance yourself in a crowd when you're just on your phone, you're mm-hmm. isolating yourself with, I mean, just technology is so the enemy sometimes if you're not careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that leads us to the next style, which is avoidant attachment, which really focuses in in our we, it's it's pretty self-centered hmm. um and that would be even more so like that you know okay I, i'll pat you on the head but i'm not really going to connect mm. so this child isn't going to feel very confident to go out and explore or um any emotionally or explore anything because he's already emotionally distant from the caregiver and he's going to believe that probably his needs are not going to be met. Right. Unless he goes out and meets them himself. Like, so him or her, right. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a, sounds like a unhealthy Enneagram seven. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you're into those, those Enneagram numbers. Okay, so that's the the avoidant and ambivalent kind of, it's a little bit, it's almost like on a continuum, okay? Um, So in the ambivalent situation, it's going to be ambivalent. You know, it's a a roll of the dice, what's going to happen? Um, The avoidant, it's probably not going to be connected. The, The caregiver, you know, may not meet, may not withhold food or or shelter, but when those, when that emotional attachment isn't there, then they can't feel secure. The, ch- the child can't feel secure in who he is or who she is. So would that lead to emotional unavailability? Absolutely. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And can you explain emotional unavailability a little bit? Because I, I saw recently, like there was a sort of a prominent, uh, Catholic commentator who was saying that I think she totally misunderstood what emotionally unavailable is. Basically, she was saying women shouldn't get angry that men are emotionally unavailable because that's just how they are because men don't really emote the way that women do. But I mean, actually being emotional unavailable in a relationship is totally different than showing emotions, right? It is. It is. Um, I think you're right. I'm not sure that person understood it entirely. Um, not that I do either. <laughs> right. But yeah, typically, I, I think some of that is more conditioned for men to feel. It's it's not in our society. It's not been very encouraged for men to be emotional, except for a few things. Men can get angry. That's okay. Uh, that's an acceptable emotion. I often find men come to see me. And it's coming out, their emotions are coming out as anger, but what's really underneath is depression Mm -hmm. because it's not acceptable for men to sit around in the corner and cry or stay in bed all day. Um, But they, it's acceptable for them to get angry. We just, well, you know, he just has a temper. Mm. Yeah, it's a mask. Um, When probably, when sometimes, yeah, it masks it because it's, it is an emotion that's acceptable, somewhat acceptable for men. Um, so, and, and, and sometimes for women as well, but, um, sometimes we get down to what's really underneath and it comes out as depression or sometimes it's anxiety and fear, Mm. but men can't show fear. (laughs) Right. So, and that goes back to some of this attachment, you know, this basic fear that I'm not going to have my needs met. Um, I mean, there's all these, these things that could happen to me and the anxiety of that because nobody, they've never felt safe. Hmm. So sure. It's going to come out as anxiety and fear or all that underneath there, but anger is what really gets shown. Hmm. 
as the whole soup and mix of right. That. So that's except it's expected for men to to lash right. out that way. Um, right. Not that it's really acceptable, but it's much more acceptable than well, ex- expected falling apart. Than, than <laughs> yeah. But then emotional unavailable unavailability when it comes to relationship roles. What does that look like? That's different. Well, it tends to be um, because they haven't really been safe to feel, to feel emotions. Um, Then they're not going to let somebody get down to that. It can come from a lot of different things that can be covered up because we don't want to, you know, we don't want anybody to see that fear because it makes us very vulnerable. And vulnerability is going to be a problem because... I don't feel safe anyway. Yeah. So if you know where my weak spots are, then that makes me even all that much more unsafe. Um, and the security goes out the windows. So of course they don't get secure. They don't feel secure and can't open up. Um, I, I work with couples a lot in the, the model I use is called emotionally focused therapy. And we try to dig, dig down and get to those emotions. So sometimes I, it takes a lot of sessions before I can get not just men, but, but women as well. But a lot of times it's men to dig down and feel. They don't want to tell me what they're feeling because they don't want to tell themselves right. what they're feeling. And when, but the coolest thing is when they can really get down there and access that primary emotion, the partner can the wife can look and, and go or the sometimes it's the woman who's like this and the husband can go oh my goodness i had no idea that that was what was going on for you and they this whole flood of emotions comes out for both of them and they begin to connect on that emotional level that's just so amazing to see when we talk about someone being not not available emotionally it it's more like the emotions are are buried so deep or sleeping. They're there. We just have to get to them. And that's part of what I do in couples yeah, therapy. Yeah, because without vulnerability, I mean, how are you really going to connect and progress in your relationship? Yeah, it's not you a relationship. Can't. When you're distant, when you're avoidant, when you're trying to push people away, that, that is not a right. relationship. Right. Speaking of avoidance. So then the last. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, we've talked about the secure attachment and the, um, the ambivalent, the avoidant attachment. And then the, the last one is a disorganized attachment. Now, this is really strange because this list is going to be the people that are, have had very little stability in their lives. And it's just all over the board. And the child often will reach or send a signal or make their need known. But it might be met in all kinds of different ways. So this is the parent who sometimes is very soft with a child, but sometimes screams and yells, depending on where they are emotionally, because they are not very, very stable to start with. Um, this will often then, in that child, we get we see depression, we see anger, um, we see a non-responsiveness, which is where you were talking about the un- the emotionally unavailable person, uh, because how could they ever reach out when they not only are they not going to get their needs met, they don't even know what's going to happen. It's scary. It's extremely fearful to let to open up and let someone see what we really need. So that makes a lot of sense and how that would be really hard for that person to open open their heart up. Uh, wow. That's painful. And say, I need yeah. this. Oh, yes. And because it, they've done it as a child and they were met with, not only were they not, did they not get their need met, they were met with the opposite. Hostility or... Yeah. 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 So when they needed comfort, they got screamed at. So that's a really, really bad situation. So now uh, these are, this is just so fascinating. I'm just taking it all in because I'm just thinking as you're going through each of these models, I'm just thinking of people (laughs) throughout my life, like, Oh, 
maybe that was what was going on. And, you know, you think about people and their mm-hmm. backgrounds mm-hmm. and it, it could be people at work. It could just be people who are awful people. And you think, man, what happened oh, yeah. to, your, to you in your childhood and not as necessary pity, but just empathy, just people, you never know what people have gone through as children. And it, it's such a heavy weight for, especially the negative attachment things that have happened to them, you know, tearing that into adulthood. It, oh my gosh, it affects everything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It affects, um, it affects how we think, because you got to remember the things that happen to during the developmental years that, that they happen to the developing brain affect who we are. They, those get hardwired into our personalities, into our developmental process. And they are kind of hardwired into our brains and how we think. So can, that can be, can be altered as adults, but it's, it's not an easy So process. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about how we can go about, changing these or or repairing them if we identify with one of these styles sure Um, see a really amazing therapist like yourself (laughs) absolutely (laughs) but (laughs) that's that's a good thing or or your sister-in-law you know um so the mother-child bond as i said affects it shapes the child's brain and and their their process. And that includes the self-esteem, the expectation of others. It influences, um, and, but then it influences our ability to attract and maintain healthy and successful adult relationships. So there, um, there's, there's all kinds of, this, this is kind of a, I I don't want to say the fad because I really do believe it's a, it's such an important piece of psychological development, but it, right now attachment theory is like everybody is jumping on this. So, um, and there was a lot of there was a lot of work being done and a lot of research being done around it. Um, and the more we do, the more we learn, and the more we realize how much this affects who we are in every aspect of our lives. Um, so, you know, you, you could Google it, uh, but there's all these academic articles and, you know, peer-reviewed studies that are being done about attachment periods. It's quite amazing to look into. We, um, we know that there is, because of that, that everything points to this. There's a link between um, how couples deal with conflict and how, they, how their, their attachment patterns in infancy and childhood. So how we were raised and how we dealt with things affects how we um, how we deal with conflict in adult relationships. Um, and that can be in marriages, but also just in friendships as well. So can you explain, uh, so like how would someone manage conflict if they have different, so I imagine that like maybe there would be more passive aggressiveness if you haven't had a secure attachment. Yes, there, there would be, there's all kinds of pieces. What happens is that when you have that secure attachment as a child, you're able to better regulate self-regulate your own emotions because that allows you to be safe and you can do that. You're not having to be emotional to get your needs met. So I'm trying to, trying to see how that, how I can say this. Um, So let me, let me go really quickly. When we talk about um, attachment styles, because uh, do you know what your attachment style is? Me personally? (laughs) Yeah. Either of you. Do you have an idea? You hope it's secure, right? I I think that I'm ambivalent. Yeah. Do you really? Uh, I think I'm pretty secure. Okay. I'm not. I don't know. I I should go see a therapist because I think everyone should. But <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But uh, but I don't have any more space in my in my calendar. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. I know. So let me let me go through this. So how this plays out in adulthood. Let's, let's look at that. So secure attachment. So these adults are more likely to be satisfied in their relationships. They feel secure um, and the connections to their partners are good without feeling the need to be together all the time. They don't always have to be in the same room or mm. next to each other or holding hands. You can. It's not a bad thing. It's just that that's not 
what's necessary to feel connected. Mm-hmm. Um, their relationships are more likely to feature honesty, mm-hmm. support, independence, and often a very deep emotional connection. So that avoidant or dismissive kind of person, um, or sometimes we call that an anxious attachment style, um, I, that, that helps define right. it a little bit more. So um, people with this attachment style will keep distance from others. And they may, may feel like they don't really need human connection to survive or thrive. And they insist that being independent uh, means I'm isolating myself. I don't really have to get close to everybody else. They often shut down emotionally when a potentially hurtful scenario happens. Um, if there's a serious argument, they may just, and I hear that, I see this sometimes in couples, this is a lot harder than people that fight and scream and yell at each other. Not that I think that's okay, but when there's a fight, someone just shuts down and withdraws that it's almost like in my mind, I'm seeing this, an armadillo, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> you ever heard of this? They're walled they sort up. They curl up shelling. Shelling. Yeah. 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 That's the picture in my mind that happens when I see that going on in, in a, in the, in the session. Um, that person shuts down and avoids and puts up that wall and shell so that they can't get hurt. I agree with you. Um, that that's even worse than it, just having an all out fight because at least when you're fighting, oh, you're yeah. actually well communicating badly, but at least you're communicating and you know where that person is at emotionally. They're they're showing anger. Right. But versus somebody that just shuts down completely, it's like, are you in there? Are you is there somebody home Mm -hmm. what's going on like talk to me you know I would almost prefer the other yeah and as I get to know my couples and and as individuals in my sessions like one night I was in um in a session and I said I said this man's name and I said Mm. come back to me Mm -hmm. you left me you left us come back Uh, because that's what he had done and I knew it I saw it on his face I could hear it in his voice um she was she was just too much for him. She was so emotional that he could not, he couldn't stand it. In fact, the next session he was able, I was able to work with him and he came, bless his heart. I love him so much. He had, he was able to open up and he said, it was so painful for me to hear her say how much it hurt her that I could not stand it. It was it was unbearable for me to see her pain. Wow. So then yeah. when he wanted to connect, he just didn't know how. Oh no, he couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that is a that's a good thing to say because, you know, often if people are avoidant, you think it's on them, like, oh, you don't care. But sometimes in that example, they care so much they just don't know what to do. And it and it it arrests them. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. So emotionally unavailable doesn't mean you're not emotional. Sometimes it means you're so emotional you can't handle it. That is so good. You know. Well, this is a, this person that has never been taught to self-regulate their emotions. They couldn't because they weren't safe. Right. And then and then obviously probably showing their emotions, they've been taught this instinct too yes. to, you know, like the, that it's not safe for them to show their emotions either. Well, no, of course not. It wouldn't be because who knows yeah. what will happen. Nobody's ever been val- validated them in that. It's, it's a very, very interesting process. That's amazing. <laughs> I just had some clarity on, on, on a few past relationships. Okay. I was like, yeah, I thought oh, you would like that was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you, we could move on. The next, the next group would be that anxious or preoccupied or avoidant. So those are the people who form less secure bonds with their partners. They may feel really desperate for love or affection and feel that their partners must complete them or fix their problems. Oh, he is so wonderful. Nobody's ever treated me this this good. And you know, I hear some of those things. It's like. I won't be able to live without this person. Oh my gosh. Every teenager ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty common. So they they long for the safety and the security of this romantic relationship. And they may be 
But while they're doing that, they may be acting in ways to push them away rather than bring them in because it's so, um, it's, they didn't learn what, what's really acceptable. You know, it's that back and forth kind of thing, right? We don't really know what kind of response we're going to get. So we try all kinds of things as they did with their caregiver as a child, trying to get what they need. Mm. So that's like the uh, doing favors or giving compliments or showing a lot of affection or getting angry. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't know. And, and, you know, it's like, it's like a crazy place for the person who they're trying to connect with. That's true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I've definitely seen it in couples where like someone will just start drama and it, it's almost like uh-huh. a temper tantrum in a way. Oh, we did. <laughs> to, to just to get attention. Yeah. Because it's all about, they need that attention so badly. Mm. And it, But it's what they've done. It, remember? It's what they did as a child. Yeah. In, in couples, um, I sometimes call it a ping. They're sending out a ping saying, do you want to go to dinner with me? Or let's say maybe you want to, do you want to go to grocery shopping with me? And he says, nah, I'll just stay here and watch the, ball, watch the ball game. Or I'll just stay here and do such and such. And what she really meant was, please come with me. I want you to be with me. Right. And she sent out a ping, but she didn't ask for it in the correct way. Because if she had, and he said no, that would have been really painful. Right. Giving him an excuse, an out. Yeah. I, right. Oh, my gosh. I've seen that happen in my own life. Mm-hmm. Just with myself. But it didn't matter because she still felt rejected when he didn't want to go. Of course. <laughs> So um, we work in relationships sometimes in couples therapy talking about the pings. That was a ping to you to say, oh, yes, honey, I love you. I would love to be with you. I won't be able to go right this with this you this time, but I, I'm sorry I can't go. <laughs> Trying to understand what it really means when they say things like that. And also working with how to communicate that. Right. You know, like, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Would you just go with me? And that's okay to ask for that. But not everybody can do that because it's, it's scary. In the boundaries, yeah, series, in the boundaries books, don't they talk about that yeah. too? Oh, I'm sure they do. A little yeah, bit, just, yeah. It, it, they refer to it something else. I like ping. We use that, you know, like, oh, let me go ping this person. <laughs> when you're just trying to get kind of your right. feelers out and trying to test the waters, as it were, or whatever. Like, I right. like that. Well, you know, that's that in the military or in the, in, you know, they do that in submarines. They ping them. Oh yeah. How far are they away? Is there somebody else out there that's going to answer my right. call? And that's kind of what's oh, going call on and there. response. Sort of like, wait, is call is and that response. what it is? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the term. It's what yeah, it is. Okay. The the ping is yeah. you know like, hey, I need something. Are you going to give right. it to me? These people then kind of the behavioral manifestation of that is of that fear is of wanting that need so desperately you know it can always be clingy or it can be um demanding jealous get upset by little issues like we like we were talking about you know the drama because the drama sometimes has has served them well so we'll try it if it gets what i need so you have to these it's all it can be all over the board because they're trying to make that connection. How would you deal with somebody mm-hmm. that way? I'm I'm thinking both like as children as <laughs> Derek and I who knows what kind of foster mm-hmm. child we'll we'll have in our home. But but even in relationships, how do you how do you deal with those people? Do you do you call them out? I imagine not, but you know, do you talk to them and say Well, okay. I do. I do in the session because I, I help work with them about communicating what their need really is. Because when they feel safe enough, when we can get them down to that emotional piece and they truly feel like the other person loves them, they begin to feel safe enough to ask for what they really need. Um, I had a couple just this week I'm seeing that he, um, let me see if, how much I can say about this. He, um, they they came to see me. She'd had an affair many years ago, maybe like mm. 20 years, but he just recently oh. found out. So for him, it's all fresh. Mm. And they're trying to put it back together. They're very dear people. And she's so broken from, from all of it. And she had a horrible childhood with very insecure attachment. So I'm not sure about his 
childhood. I'm not, I don't think he would say it was really good, but I don't think it really was based on how he is. So he would then, because this has, it's like it's brand new fresh for him in the last few months. So he would begin to ask her questions about this uh, relationship that she had been in and ask for details, which is never a great idea oh anyway. Gosh, but, never ask for details. Yeah, but he would ask her for details. And she is in such a state that she couldn't remember even if she wanted to. So he then bombards her and gets it gets uglier and uglier. And she shuts down and is just uh, is is like a quivering mass of jello. I mean, right. she is it is a horrible, horrible picture. And so, uh, when I saw them uh, a couple of weeks ago, I I asked him. I said, "So, what are you trying to get from this? What is it that you want?" And we've been working for several months now. And he said, "I, I said, tell me what you're feeling. Let's talk about what's going on inside of you when when those." awful triggers come up for you, for this woman that you love so much that you feel betrayed by. What comes up for you when you start asking these questions? And he said, I feel so insecure. He was able to finally tell me that he felt insecure, that she wasn't going to stay and love him. And he loves her so much. So um, she says, but I am. I do love you. You are my husband. You're the person I love. I want to be with you. So it was the coolest thing. He told me this week when he came in, he said he he's had fewer triggers over the last few weeks, but he had a trigger that came up. And he he texted her. He wasn't with her at the time, but he had a t- he texted her and said, and he said he was thinking to himself, what's the word Dina told me to use? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, He said, oh, yeah, I feel, I'm feeling insecure. Wow. And she immediately came back with these lovely words to him that said, you're the only man for me. I love you very much. I'm I'm yours forever. All these kinds of things that was, he was able to take a deep breath and went, yeah, that's just what I needed. Mm, He needed to hear it. So in he needed that and in the past he that's what he was trying to get in all of his questions in such a bizarre way and it didn't he did not achieve what he needed but when he could stop Mm. and take a breath and ask for what he really needed she was able to give it to him because she didn't go into a shutdown cycle from her fear and it was so beautiful to see them tell me that. It was it was so wonderful to see how they they're changing their patterns. So yes, out of his insecurity, he's been able to say, "I feel insecure. Help me." That's great. I, 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 and sorry to interrupt, but it just made me no, it just no. made me think of like it's not it's not a bad thing necessarily to feel insecure as long as you can. Uh, articulate that to your partner and together deal with it. So it's not about feeling shame, but how I feel insecure. So I don't want to say anything and be in denial and cover it up. So I love this because it's an encouragement to talk about those things. What are you feeling insecure about? Because we're human. Of course, we're going to feel insecurities, but we look to our parents, our partners, our friends to support us, to encourage us. And so that, that, that's a exactly. beautiful story. I love that. But could you, what, that's what the attachment's supposed to be. Mm. You know, is is that whole meeting that need for that other person? We're never not. We're, it's never that going to be that we don't have those needs. Yes. But what about so if you have one of these insecure attachment styles? I mean, what, what the pattern I've seen in my life and and in other people's lives too is that sometimes we seek out romantic partners that will perpetuate that pattern just because that's what Absolutely. we know. You know, so it's you know you might be find yourself in a situation where you finally get up the courage to be vulnerable and to say I feel insecure, but you're with a person that really just can't handle that or doesn't care. <laughs> Right. And and that's going to take some work. It's going to take work on both sides because just like 
that person can't meet your need or that you can't ask for it, they can't always provide it either. So it takes it takes work on both sides to make that yeah, make that work. That. And it, it, yeah, I mean, you can't fix it on your own. Never can you do a couple's. You can make a couple better by only right. seeing one of them. They'll feel better, <laughs> but it, but it won't really fix the relationship until both of them are willing to to make changes to to fix the pattern. Um, we talk sometimes about the cycle we get into, and we tend to keep asking for what we need in the wrong way, and then the other person responds in the wrong way, and that does not meet our need. We don't meet their need, and it goes in this vicious. If you can see it as an infinity loop. And we continue to do it for years and years, thinking we're going to get something different, but doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Well, because that's just how we're made. (laughs) Yeah. I've been um, trying to analyze my life uh, within the past few months. And and I'm trying to get to the heart of this pattern of like, why I often have feelings for men that aren't interested. And yet men that are interested, I'm just like totally not attracted Mm -hmm. to. You know, right. because I know that it goes way deeper than just who who these right. people are, uh, because yes. it's a pattern that yes. keeps coming up, and I think it definitely has to do with perpetuating that early childhood <laughs> feeling. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, can I recommend? Um, there's an excellent resource for this, uh, particularly about couples therapy and couples cycles and how we meet each other's attachment needs. Yeah. This book is called Hold Me Tight. It's uh, the author is Sue Johnson. She's kind of the um, founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy. She also wrote a book with, there's another author, and I, I'm sorry that I don't have it in front of me. There's a book that is has been kind of tailored to Christians, to Christian couples. It's basically the same information, but with a little more Christian emphasis, which you can argue it's it, it's a very Christian concept because this is all what we're made for. God created us for relationships with him first, but also with each other. It's how we're made. Uh, we don't do very well alone. So that's the way it works. And the, uh, the second book that I was mentioning is called Created for Connection. Mm-hmm. They're basically the same information. Uh, both books are very good and have a lot of good stuff on what we've been talking about. It's And it's a lot about attachment and how that affects us in relationships. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, this is, this is all really, really good information. And we're so grateful that you were able to hop on the phone with us again. There's plenty, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm to. to be learning about this, but I'm so glad that it, maybe for some people, this is the first time they're hearing about it. And I would encourage them to go ahead and look up some of those resources mm-hmm. that you just cited right now. But as we're going to close up the conversation for now, um, is there anything that you want to let people know, just if there's nothing else that you have gotten from this inf- from this conversation, what is that one takeaway that um, you would hope people would walk away with? Well, the one thing I would say is it matters a lot. Who we are matters a lot about how we were cared for and brought up in our early years. Great. But it doesn't mean it's set in stone. You can certainly, being aware of what's going on for you can certainly put you way down the road in getting it fixed. Can you totally change your style? Probably not. But you can learn how to work within it and know that those are issues for you and how you respond and reach out to other people to have your needs met. And and always, also, this is always on a continuum. There aren't like four boxes and everybody goes mm. in one of them. There's It's more of a, of, a, of a circle that we all connect in some way or another. If you feel like that those, you're always having relationship issues, I encourage you to, to get to a therapist and talk this out. The um, Emotionally Focused Therapy Group is, is huge. There are certified and trained therapists in this model that are doing amazing work in attachment, connection, and relationships. So it's um, I'm a big proponent of that type of therapy. It also works. It, there are pieces of it that work amazingly for families and also for individuals. So it's a, it's a 
really neat way to look at what has what our needs are and how we need to make changes in our lives. Thank you again so much. Again, we're speaking with Dina Sams. And if you want to go ahead and let us know where we can find you. Sure, sure. Um, I am available on an, by email. I'm on Facebook at Dina Sams LPC is my business page. I'm a therapist at Canal Pastoral Counseling Center in Charleston, West Virginia. Because of state laws, I don't do distance counseling. I could do distance coaching on the phone if someone's interested in that. Um, probably insurance doesn't pay for it, but I can do it. We can still work something out. That's something you would be interested in. That's awesome. We'll go ahead and include that all in the show notes. Um, So thank you again, Dina, so much for coming on the show. Um, We'd love to talk to you again sometime. I really appreciate everything you said today, and I hope it is a help, as I'm sure it will be, for people to at least get the conversation going with either their partners or just to think about for themselves. So we really appreciate you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.